The steady climb of Rene Lassert, building Bill.com into an $11 billion industry-leading company. This was originally published June 25th, 2023. Rene Lassert is an under-the-radar CEO who founded Bill.com in 2006 and built it into a public company valued at more than $11 billion. In a 2021 interview with Jason Lemkin, founder of Saster, and a user of Renee's product, Jason said, I don't know what we pay, but whatever it is, we don't pay enough. And I think that perfectly illustrates how well Renee has solved a problem for SMBs. But this wasn't Renee's first company. He climbed out of the lowest point in his career at another company he previously founded to build Bill into the incredible success it is today. How'd he do it? Let's get to it. Early days. Renee was born in Virginia, but was raised in Winter Haven, Florida, where his parents were running their own business. He's a fourth-generation entrepreneur, with his great-grandfather operating a general store and his parents starting around half a dozen businesses between them. Entrepreneurship has been in Renee's blood from the very beginning. Even the night he was born, his mom, who was a key punch operator at the time, Oh, how technology has evolved. Was busy working at the time because he came two weeks early. Dinners with the family growing up always involved talk about business, from product innovation to people management to the importance of cash flow. Rene got what he calls his dinner table MBA through these discussions. These discussions would later also shape how he'd run his company, just as the lessons he learned from the musical side of his dad would. Here's a quote from Rene. Dad taught me so many things. At the core of dad was that he just never gave up. My dad was born with a disability. He had four fingers on his left hand and two on his right. And nobody taught him to play piano, so he taught himself. And there are all sorts of examples like that where he was a fabulous musician. He was playing trumpet when he was a kid and he moved to piano. When you care about something, it is worth fighting for. And you don't listen to the detractors. You just kind of focus on what you know you're capable of. And you just do it. So that's probably the most important lesson that I've learned. The dinner table discussions also gave Renee the desire to eventually build something of his own. You see that ebb and flow is worth it because you end up building something that is lasting. But Renee didn't start his own company right away. After getting a BA in economics and an MS in industrial engineering at Stanford, he worked for PwC as an auditor for three years after a partner at the firm said he should go into accounting because it is the language of business. He then spent a year working at his parents' payroll company in Florida and joined Intuit in 1994, helping them launch their payroll product. This experience would lead to Renee starting his first company. Pay cycle. While working for Intuit, Renee had a great idea. Put QuickBooks, Intuit's accounting software, on the internet. At the time, the only way to install the software was with a CD. Look it up, kids. But Renee thought there was a better way. The only problem? Intuit wasn't into it. Forgive me. So in 1999, at 32 years old, Renee decided to start a company, PayCycle, to do just that, providing online payroll for SMBs. Working with his co-founder, Martin Gates, they bootstrapped PayCycle for about a year, then announced a $1.3 million round on September 27, 2000, from private investors. When the time came to raise money from venture capitalists in the fall of 2000, they found themselves in a peculiar position. The dot-com bubble had just burst, and venture capitalists were cautious at best. However, 
After talking with around 95 VCs, Renee was able to land an investor, David Hornick of August Capital, for an $8 million round of funding. Over the next five years, PayCycle would go on to work with tens of thousands of businesses, grow to a team of more than 100, and become one of the top places to work in the Bay Area. But it wasn't all rosy for Renee. In 2004, growth had slowed. They weren't getting to a consensus on decisions, and so they worked with a consultant for six months to figure out the leadership roles at the company. When Renee was called in for an unscheduled board meeting, his wife, who is a venture capitalist, knew it wasn't good. At the meeting, the board asked him to step down as CEO, but Renee, heeding the warning from his wife, came prepared with all the ways he had failed as a leader and what he could do to improve. The board wasn't expecting this. They talked about it for 30 minutes, but still decided that it'd be best for Renee to step down from his role. Later on, Renee would describe this as the lowest point in his career. But he owned his mistakes. And here's Renee. You have to own your mistakes. You have to own when you lose. And you have to move on. So he moved into the CFO role for about 18 months, hired and trained the new CEO, and started thinking about the things he'd do differently with his next company. One of the realizations was that the buck stops with the CEO. There needs to be one decision maker. No more consensus decision making. The other was that he needed to be more willing to have hard conversations. There wasn't much employee transition at PayCycle. He really never asked someone to leave in the seven years he was there, and he admits this was a mistake on his part. In 2006, he left PayCycle but stayed on the board. It was time to start a new company, and this time, he'd do things differently. Starting Bill. Frustrations Renee experienced while running PayCycle led him to start what would become Bill. In an interview he did in December 2014, he talked about this, and here is Renee. I was unhappy. I was angry. I was kind of frustrated that all this paper stuff came to my desk, and yet I didn't have all the answers I needed to make decisions. So when you're making a payment decision, this goes back to what dad and granddad thought, which was to stretch out the payables and to pull on receivables. You need information. You need context. You need a lot of content to actually make a decision. What does the contract say? When did I pay them last? What do my employees say? Does my marketing head believe this is a good expense or not? Maybe I want to ask them why they did this because I might want to learn what's going on in the business. All those questions require collaboration. And so, I just was kind of fixating on the fact that none of the tools that I had either built or looked at competitively at Intuit allowed me to actually do what I needed to do. It didn't allow me to collaborate with the people, which would be the employees, the customers, the vendors, the accountants. It didn't allow me to collaborate with the documents, everything from a source document all the way up to the clear check image. It didn't allow me to collaborate with my accounting system or my banking system so I could have secure, disaster-proof, so to speak, backup office capabilities. I didn't have any of that functionality out there. So I started thinking about it. It's like, you know, this cloud thing is pretty collaborative. I bet you I can think about how I can actually make the transaction go from payables to receivables and back without having to do any data entry on either side. So that's kind of how I started thinking about it and realized there was an opportunity to give people the right access at the right time with the right information using the cloud, which will allow for all that mundane paperwork that people have to disappear. 
Initially, the company was called Cashview, fitting. But when the opportunity came up to buy a four-letter domain name, Renee couldn't pass it up. Here's how he got it. A little bit lucky. The CTO, Eric, had a friend, Mark Benioff, from Salesforce. And Mark Benioff owned the URL. And so Mark had stayed connected to Eric. And after about a year of working here, he had kind of asked Eric a little bit more about what we were doing. When he heard what we were doing, he was like, you know, I've got a URL that might be appropriate. And so we talked and we talked about the business. And as a friend, he did us a favor and sold it to us. And that friendly favor, it was a reported $200,000 that he paid for the domain name. Friendly, but still cost him money. After finding the company on his own for about the first year, everyone who put money into PayCycle also ended up putting money into Bill. Let me say it one more time. Everyone who put money into PayCycle also ended up putting money into Bill. It's important. Renee had maintained good relationships along the way with all the board members from PayCycle, and he was very direct about the things he'd do differently this time around as a leader. It just goes to show the value of playing the long game and building strong relationships. And one of the things Renee did differently this time was that he hired a coach. He was serious about improving and didn't just talk about it. He put it into action. Starting a new company also gave Renee a chance to build a culture from scratch with five things in particular he thinks make a great team. Passion, dedication to each other and their customers, humility, authenticity, really important because when people are authentic, they're at their best, and finally, fun. In September 2006, Renee officially started Bill, but he wouldn't fully launch the platform until January of 2008. He was working on the prototype during that time, building out a lot of the structure of the platform, making sure it worked and could scale, and he had some good advice about this for other founders. Here's Renee. You can do the prototype fairly easily and no technology, in fact. Our original prototype was I would walk down to the businesses that we signed up. I would actually take their bills for them. I would scan them. I would actually then attach that to email and route for other people to approve. I would then take care of printing the checks or moving the money electronically. I would do all that stuff manually so that we could learn what we needed to build out in the system with the engineers. So it didn't take actually that much money to get an alpha version out, but it did take, it does take time to build a payment company. That's not easy work to manage and build payment companies. After the platform was built, Renee knew he had something after he showed it to his dad in March, 2008, and he reacted with a four letter expletive. And I can't believe he came up with this. He was very impressed by what Renee had built at a time when he had maybe three customers on the platform. Sadly, in September 2008, Renee's dad passed away from lung cancer. Renee would continue to use the lessons he learned from his dad to build Bill, tapping into the network he had built throughout his career to get the first few customers. He had gotten to know a lot of accountants through PayCycle, and a number of them ended up using the platform. And from day one, they built the platform to sell all SMBs, so the accountants would end up being a massive part of their customer acquisition strategy. After the accountants, they'd eventually get the banks on board, but this took quite some time. It wasn't until they had about 10,000 customers that they landed their first bank partnership. The pitch to banks for Renee was simple. Let's talk about how many business customers are choosing your applications today and compare that to consumer adoption with Bill. Customers were clearly choosing what Renee and the team had built at Bill. Yes, the platform itself was great, 
But over time, they also become known for having amazing customer support, something Renee had learned the importance of growing up surrounded by entrepreneurs. When it came to customer support, he looked at this as an opportunity to learn. All too often, people think of customer support as a cost center, and they don't think of it as a learning center, Renee would say. And while they had phone support at PayCycle, Renee opted for chat support at Bill.com. Why? For two reasons. One, they're able to document the questions customers are asking. And two, customers have a history they're able to view. Managers can also review these chats so they can improve and further increase the learning cycle. However, at this point in our story, just like with his last company, Renee had to go through another difficult macro environment, the financial crisis. Financial crisis and early growth. In the fall of 2008, Sequoia put out their RIP Good Times Spiral of Death deck warning that winter was coming. I'll link to that, by the way, at justgrind.com. Around this time, Renee had to make a difficult decision. He had enough cash to last the company through around March or April of 2009, but knew it was going to be challenging to raise capital. So he decided to lay off 40% of his team, going from 26 to 15 employees. It was the right move. He wasn't able to raise money again until September 2009, and his runway would have come up short months before he was able to raise. Side note, that same year, PayCycle sold to Intuit for $170 million, with Renee still an active member of the board at the time. After that year, raising capital would be much easier, not just because of the macro environment, but because of what Renee had built. As Renee said in an interview with Saster, you can't force a crossing of the digital divide overnight. It took time to get customers across, and they did so by making it easy as possible for them. They allowed companies to start with a fax or an actual check, but they incentivized them to pay electronically. The cost of any paper transaction was $1.49, while electronic ones were $0.49. Cents. They also made it easy for those accountants or anyone else on the platform to invite people to pay or get paid on it. By around late 2009 or early 2010, Renee recalls Bill.com gained their first 1,000 customers and then strategizing more at that point about what's next, the allocation of resources, partnerships, and sales. A few years later, by 2014, the cost of the platform ranged from $29 a month to $79 a month plus transaction fees, which customers were happy to pay because they were saving time, getting paid two to three times faster, and also saving money by using Build.com. Just always different benefits for Build.com. At this point, Renee had also integrated Build.com with a number of accounting systems, building a tool that worked alongside them. And here's Renee. The accounting systems that we primarily work with would be Intuit, QuickBooks, QuickBooks Align, Enact, NetSuite, Zero. We do have customers with us using Moss90, Great Plains. I don't think we have anybody with Oracle or SAP. It does tend to be much, much larger companies, kind of Fortune 2000. And in the United States, there are 6 million businesses with employees, 6 million employers, and that kind of tends to be our focus. And they tend to use these first five that I've mentioned. So our belief is that the accounting software is a tremendous tool that gives you the data and the ledger and the reporting that you need about how to look at and analyze your business. But when it comes to actually understanding your payables and receivables, they don't have the process workflow that we have. So 
We are a tool that works side by side with the accounting system. And so we have partnerships and integrations with each of these applications. And our customers typically will sync the data from the accounting software into build.com in the initial day or whatever. And they will take over all the list items to customers, to vendors, chartered accounts, the expense category, all that stuff will come over. And then from there, once they put the documents in, they can categorize it in build.com. And then we just sync back and forth. If they add a vendor, it goes over to QuickBooks. If they add a customer, it goes over. All that stuff just automatically gets integrated and synced in a seamless fashion so the customers don't have to worry about their books being accurate. So accountancy, here's one of the things accountancy loves, is that they can actually have their clients involved in bill.com, but not necessarily involved in the accounting software, which is where they can kind of make mistakes. All of this work, years of building relationships, forging partnerships, and creating a platform that could scale would pay off in a big way. Growth. Renee would say it took 10 years before they had meaningful revenue at Bill, which would put us around 2016 at this journey. And just to highlight that, 10 years before meaningful growth. These things take time. Well, certainly by 2017, things were humming along quite nicely with 40 billion a year being moved through the platform. And their sweet spot for customers by this time, businesses with as little as few hundred thousand in revenue up to about 50 million. They'd have 2 million users on the platform by this point with a percentage of those being paying customers. The built-in virality that the platform has with accountants bringing their clients on the platform and banks also bringing their customers on the platform fueled their growth. There's a great A16Z article by Seema Amble that describes how the design of Renee's product created that virality. And here is Seema. Product design drives growth. If someone sends an invoice via bill.com, the recipient is forced to also create a bill.com account to make a payment online rather than go through the cumbersome process of mailing physical check. Similarly, customers can invite pays to create an account to receive payment. Thus, customers themselves drive signups and help bootstrap the network. This method forced account creation to drive acquisition is the same tactic taken by enterprise companies like Zoom and Dropbox. It's preferable to referral credits because it doesn't require any additional effort on the existing customer's part, like say sending invites, and it incentivizes an immediate business need, faster payment. This acquisition strategy also allows Bill.com to collect valuable customer information. Remember though, this took time to get going and Renee had an uncommon amount of patience. Here's a Forbes uh, quote. After accountants, Lacert targeted banks. He'd look at JP Morgan and say, we're going to have this first meeting and we're probably about three to five years away from this having a big impact on our business, recalls Blaisdell. What entrepreneur has that kind of patience? In 2016, he struck a partnership with his old employer into it to integrate bill.com into its QuickBooks software. The next year, he finally landed a deal with JP Morgan to have their bankers begin recommending bill.com to their business customers and has since inked deals with PNC, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. Around this time, the average customer is paying about $100 a month with a 10 to 13 month payback period. So Bill's CAC is around $1,000 to $1,300. Renee is leading a team of 225, mostly in Palo Alto. Next year, 
2018, they launched international payments and did $65 million in revenue, setting them up for a round of funding in April 2019 that valued Bill.com at more than $1 billion. And they were just getting started. IPO. After being valued at about a billion dollars in early 2019, Bill.com went public in December 2019 at a price of $22 a share, valuing the company at $1.6 billion. The stock got a bump of more than 60% on the first day of trading and ended up being the second best Bay Area tech stock IPO of 2019. It's crazy. In a Saster interview, Renee reflected on their inflection point soon after launching international payments and going public a year later. That was a turning point when we realized we could kind of have a much different understanding and use case with our customers because the platform was doing the job. The stickiness of the workflow, document management, security, compliance, all that stuff that you don't have to worry about as a customer, that was sticky enough that we realized we could start selling other things, and that's really what happened since the IPO. We started that at the time of the IPO, and that's kind of the growth that's really driven the transaction revenue growing at the rate that it has been. Bill was started in 2006, didn't launch international payments until 2018, and payments overall didn't take off till after the IPO when they not only had international payments, but also virtual card payments. Why? A couple of reasons. First, they had to build out the end-to-end platform. There's a lot of infrastructure they had to put in place. Second, the regulatory and compliance aspect is daunting and takes time. Hell, Renee even said that around their Series D or E round of funding, one of their investors said they might not actually have all the regulatory stuff figured out. They had to build all of this on top of being able to handle fraud risk before they could really get things rolling. But once they did, off to the races. Pandemic growth. Two months after the IPO, Bill.com was valued at $4 billion. By that time, they had built out a network of 4,000 accounting firms, driving 45% of Bill's revenue and solidifying their partner-driven distribution model. And Renee was running the show, as one of his investors recalled. Steady Eddie. He's not a flamboyant person. He's a very thorough thinker. He does not exaggerate. He hits his numbers. His company meetings are very different from some of those young buck startups that hang out on Fridays with a beer in their hand just to look cool. By September 2020, Bill had more than 100,000 companies making payments on their platform and combining software subscriptions and transaction fees. They were making an average of $1,500 in revenue a year from each of them. By November 2020, Bill had hired 100 employees since the start of COVID. In an interview that month, Renee mentioned how his team is 35% white males and 45% female, and just how important it is to intentionally build a diverse team. I just feel that it's so important to have a diversity in thinking, and that's why I do it, and I love the diversity that our team has. I love the energy that it brings, and it's something that I think can really make a difference in building success in a company. By the end of 2020, Bill was valued at $10 billion, up from the $1.6 billion valuation at the time of the IPO, and the shares had gone from $22 a share to $126 a share. A Forbes article at this time showcased just how good of a return this netted for early investors. 
The fast growth and the market's anticipation of more has produced stunning returns for some of Bill.com's early investors. DCM has already pocketed $680 million and still holds $240 million in stock, all from a $25 million investment. August Capital's $25 million bet turned into nearly a $700 million return. It's the best investment I ever made, David Hornick says. Soon after this time period, Bill went on a spending spree. Spending spree. In June of 2021, Bill completes the acquisition of Divi, a leading spend management platform for about $2.5 billion. Renee mentioned how they're always asking Bill customers what they need. Spend management customers loved Divi, and the move made sense to enhance the platform and fuel growth. Here's Renee. When we went public, one of the reasons was to have the currency to be able to add to the platform and to serve more customers with better products. And so this does both. Allows us to have better products and tools on top of our platform that we've already built, but also allows us to reach customers that maybe weren't interested in us before for whatever reason. Then, in September that year, they acquire invoice to go a leading mobile-first accountants receivable software provider for $625 million. By this point, Bill has 121,000 customers, way more than public SaaS companies typically have, and their gross margins are growing. Within five years, we had gross margins that were probably north of 50, and so now our gross margins are close to 75 to 80, somewhere in that range, is what Renee said. They're almost evenly split between payments and software revenue at this point, and their average customer value is about $2,000 a year. How are they finding them? With a three-prong approach. Number one, direct through digital marketing and word of mouth. Number two, accountants, accounting professionals, and bookkeepers. And number three is strategic partners like banks. And Renee wasn't done shopping yet. In November 2022, Bill acquired Finmark, financial planning software company for startups for an undisclosed amount. All of this leads us to today, June of 2023. Renee and Bill.com today. What a journey it's been for Renee, starting Bill in 2006 after being forced to step down a pay cycle and growing it into a company valued at $11 billion. He went through the financial crisis right after launching, more recently has had to weather the tech stock crash of 2022, and yet he still has Bill positioned to succeed for years to come. Bill has such a sticky product with a clear network effect and a number of key partnerships. They've grown to become a leading company in the industry with thousands of employees. It's remarkable what Renee and the team have built. When it comes to Renee, what I'm also impressed by is how he's also made it a focus to take care of his health and encourages others to do so as well. I don't know what his current habits are, but in a 2017 interview, he mentioned how reading the book Younger Next Year influenced him. And at this point, he was playing ultimate frisbee every week, had healthy snacks available at the office, and was consistently running. Another time, he mentioned having a Peloton and constantly trying to beat his personal goals. And finally, in an older interview, he talked about running 35 to 40 miles per week back in 2014 with no headphones, just nature, as a form of meditation for him. Take care of your health so you can take care of everything else. It'll be fun to see where Renee can take Bill from here. Renee's wisdom on starting a company. Well, the first thing is that it's always harder than you thought or think. It's always harder. 
And so just back to the first question you asked me, which is you got to pursue it. If you believe in what you're doing, you have to keep doing it. You can't let somebody else tell you, no, it's not right. On trusting your gut when hiring, all the hires that have ended up being amazing hires, I got butterflies when I was talking with them. I got so excited, like, oh my God, it'd be so fun to work with this person. And finally, on the importance of your network, you cannot underestimate the value of the network you have. Do not be afraid to tap into it and ask. People can always say no. And kind of an add-on to that is focus on developing board of advisors or board of directors or something you have to be accountable for. Everybody always thinks being your own boss must be great. I'm not my own boss. I work for the people above me. I work for people below me. I'm the guy in the middle that has people all around me that I need to work with and they're all telling me what to do. And now I get to set the course, but I'm listening to all of them and I'm trying to make sure they're all satisfied. And if you don't have that accountability, then it's actually very easy to say, well, you know, I said I was going to get this product research done by next month. Three months go by and you haven't done it. But if you have a board and you have a board meeting in six weeks where you have to report on the product research, guess what? You'll get the product research done by six weeks amount. So I would recommend that. That, my friends, is Renee Lassert, founder of Build.com. Thanks for listening.